0: Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency innovators actively building, growing, and investing in this emerging technology. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts quarterly conferences and monthly events live recorded for this podcast. Our current chapters are located in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, San Francisco, Austin, San Antonio, and Dallas. Our upcoming conferences will be TF5 in Seattle on March 19, 2020, and TF6 in Austin on June 4th, 2020. To get involved with TF Blockchain, participate in future TF conferences, attend a chapter in your area, or to start a new chapter, please visit tfblock.io. Hey, I wanna share a special promo with you from our friends over at CoinMine, so you can get your very own CoinMine One and mine cryptocurrency from your house in the simplest way possible. I have one, I love it, and I wanna make sure you can get one too. So visit coinmine.com slash tfblock and use discount code tfblock to get $50 off. This podcast is presented by TF Labs, a blockchain product and startup studio. TF Labs collaborates with companies from growth stage to enterprise in order to establish their blockchain product strategy. As a startup studio, TF Labs builds and validates internal products to one day be spun out as companies. To partner or get involved with TF Labs, please visit us at tflabs.io. Welcome Portland TF Blockchain. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, My name is Jonathan, founder of TF Blockchain. Uh, I'm really excited to be with you again. Uh, A lot of great familiar faces here. It's always good to come down here and it's been awesome seeing this community grow. I'm really excited to welcome Kate Mitzelmacher of Blockcelerate. Please help me welcome her with a big round of applause. I appreciate that. That was a good welcome, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: warmest welcome I've gotten in a long time.
0: Good, good. Uh, well, hey, thanks so much for coming down. Um, you live in Seattle. I live in Seattle. You flew down here. Yeah. On your private jet.
1: Uh, I wish. <laughs> in, in fact, I, I'll actually make a quick announcement since yeah. you started with a lot of announcements. Um, I thought I booked a flight for today, but I actually booked it for March 24th instead. So now I just decided that I'm going to host an event here on March 24th. <laughs> since I have a ticket already anyway. So you all are invited and if you're interested, just ping me on LinkedIn and I'll send you the invite. Cool. And we'll talk about our investment thesis, so th- things that we're probably not gonna cover today yeah. in much depth.
0: Awesome, awesome, well you heard it here first. Um, well, Kate, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself to everybody, let them know uh, a little bit about you. Um, you know, even before uh, the VC stuff, you know, how did you get into the tech scene? how did you get into, uh, I guess, kind of starting off your career?
1: Yeah, so, um, so professionally, I spent 10 years working at a global market research firm, Gartner. Uh, those of you who are in enterprise software space, uh, you would have heard of it because they work with um, probably 99% of Fortune 500 companies uh, and help them make out the technology trends. Um, so they've been around for 40 years. So they've sort of seen a number of waves of, uh, of disruptions, everything from the internet. Um, to the cloud, to mobile, social, Internet of Things, and then blockchain came around in 2016. Um, By that time, i have been with Gartner for about seven years or so, and I saw something different about blockchain because I saw this massive demand from CIOs of Fortune 500 companies who were quietly trying to learn about this technology without making too much noise because they were afraid that their boards are gonna think that they're they're trying to get Bitcoin, but in fact, there's a difference uh, between Bitcoin and blockchain. And over time, uh, that sort of evolved into the trend. And then in 2017, 2016, actually, uh, it was the number one search term in Gartner.com, which is a huge deal. Wow! Yeah, uh, means that you know enterprises are actively looking to investigate and potentially purchase blockchain technology uh, solutions.
0: That's super interesting. And, and um, when they're doing that, they're actively reaching out to Gartner about that. And then Gartner is working with them on kind of figuring right. that out a little
1: bit. So, so personally myself, I sort of spent three in three different roles at Gartner. The first um, third of my career, I spent working with CIOs and working on strategy, helping Fortune 500 companies implement those technologies. Another third of my career I spent helping CEOs of enterprise software companies sell to the CIOs of Fortune 500 companies, meaning how do they go to market, how do they position themselves, uh, you know, how do they tier their customers, and so forth. And then the last uh, third of my career I spent in the venture capital and private equity space. So I was uh, spearheading the venture capital group in Silicon Valley. And um, we identified blockchain as one of top three most disruptive technologies that will generate trillions of dollars uh, worth of wealth over the next 10 years.
0: Wow. So I'm assuming like you you know you have a front row seat there and you're seeing if all these corporate big company executives are thinking about this, like this, might have some legs right right and then so from there uh, when did you kind of ha- hit this epiphany like hey I, I think uh, doing running a fund or building a fund might work out
1: uh, so that was not the first idea I had uh, first did thought, you wanna
0: build a company with well,
1: no the first thought I, I was actually comfortable where I was <laughs> uh-huh. I was getting paid quite a bit <laughs> compared to leaving and having to do something on my own um, so I approached Gartner and I said, "Why don't we start a venture arm focused on deploying capital into, into blockchain?" Um, they saw that as conflict of interest with what they were doing, uh, so they they put a ban on that pretty quick. Then I went to some venture capital firms in Silicon Valley, uh, shorter path to market, if you will, than yeah. starting your own. And everybody said, "Well, Bitcoin is a fraud and blockchain is the same as Bitcoin, so we're not going to do that." Two years later. You know half of them are now running crypto funds if you will Um, so once those options were exhausted I said okay if nobody wants to do it I'll do it myself and I love it here here I am
0: nice nice I love that right it's it's yeah why wait for someone else if they don't see the vision and you do go go for it that's awesome Um, so yeah I I think we met uh, originally a couple years ago when you're in the you had just started yeah, raising just, for the funds. Just fund. getting started. Um, walk us through that. Like, what is it like to raise a venture fund? You know, some, most of us probably don't even know kind of what, what that's like, and um, it's probably safe to say that raising a venture fund for uh, the blockchain space, especially if you uh, experience some of that negativity, uh, would be yeah. you know a little more difficult.
1: I think if you would have told me to do this again (laughs) I probably wouldn't do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah as they say before you start a company if you learn how hard it's gonna be you probably would never start it but now fast forward two years I'm glad that I did yeah because when I was getting started um, there was a lot more competition now, we sort of went through the crypto winter, as we call it, and-
0: You lasted through the storm. We
1: lasted through the storm, indeed. And I think it's sort of a really good survival of the fittest criteria. If you survive that, you can survive anything. Yeah. And in fact, you know, companies during the internet boom and bust, the ones that survived the bust are the ones who became Facebook and Um, you know, well, I guess Facebook was on the fringes, but Amazons of the world and and so forth. Um, So in terms of starting a fund, um, it's hard, but there's a few pros and cons related to blockchain. The, The biggest con... Is the fact that it's highly correlated with the prices of Bitcoin like, as you can as imagine. An, as
0: an interest is interest comes in and out based Indeed. off of that yeah
1: so we saw a direct correlation and I think we're not the only ones if you look we looked at Pantera uh, statistics and their fund contributions were directly proportionate to the price of Bitcoin which makes absolutely no sense If you're a rational investor, you should invest when it's low and sell when it's high, but everybody's doing the opposite. That's interesting. Um, So that's the first one. On the positive side, blockchain is a highly technical field. So if you want to deploy capital into the space, you have to have technical know-how. And myself and the team. Uh, We have a very diverse team, folks who have been distributed uh, software engineers at Facebook, um, Amazon, Sun Microsystems, Microsoft, uh, people who understand the technology behind blockchain and it's really hard to come by. So from that perspective, it makes it easier to raise capital because you're, you know, how else are you going to research this space? Sure. sure. Um, Another positive side of it is that institutional interest is growing. Um, meaning more and more family offices, fund of funds endowments, you name it, they, they, they wanna get into this space. They wanna offer this asset class to their clients. And they're looking for funds who are thesis driven, which is what we are, who have strong portfolio companies that are generating revenue, which we have, to to have as a part of their portfolio. Yeah. And that's been really helpful.
0: That uh, yeah, how, how do those conversations kind of start out? Like are are you fine and or better way to say that is how have you found those conversations evolving, right? I'm assuming when you were first having conversations with family offices, it might have been similar and, you know, as time has gone and and um, as you've had your staying power, um, mm-hmm. there's been, you know, more levels of interest like you say like um, I guess even walk us through that process. Like, how might you talk about this with a uh, a fund? To fun, not sorry, not a fund to fund, but a uh, a family office.
1: Yeah. How many of you here raise money for a startup? About half of you. Um, how many of you have raised money for a fund? None of you. So don't worry, it's the same thing. (laughs) If you've raised money for a startup, it's the same thing as raising money for a fund. Except for if you're raising money for a fund, you're not showing your traction, you're showing your portfolio company's traction. And you're sort of using levers or hooks to get them in. And for us, the biggest hook is the performance of our portfolio companies in a short window that potential investors have to participate as co-investors in those deals. So we had a deal that drove four or five million of assets under management for our fund just because they doubled in revenue since the time we invested and we still had a window until December of last year for new investors to come in at the same valuation as we did. So that's an example, a very specific tactical example that you can use if you decide ever to, to raise a fund. Yeah,
0: super interesting, super interesting. So, um, you know, I guess walk us through that. So you, you, um, you're you finished with a fund and now you're deploying capital. Uh, what type of companies are you looking at? What's interesting for Block Accelerate?
1: So first, before I answer that, yeah. you are never finished with a fundraising. <laughs> when, either you're in a startup or if you're in a fund, you're always, if you're not fundraising, you're not doing your job. And in funds, you, the, the way you go through the process is through multiple closes. So we've gone through two closes. We're going to hold our last third close. Once we pass through that, we're going to immediately start fundraising for the second fund. Because yeah. if we don't, then we're sort of There's run out of. Yes. Um, but on in terms of the deals, we are actively deploying uh, capital. That's our top priority outside of fundraising. Um, And we have a very sophisticated uh, metric system uh, for, uh, because deal flow and deal process that we put in place is everything. When we go to RLPs, they want to see that this is not an outcome of luck, it's an outcome of process. So if you have a startup and you come to us and we ask you a lot of questions, it's not because we're trying to be difficult, but because we have to follow the process because that's what our investors Hold us accountable to so the first stage if you will in our pipeline is any company that comes our way or we find interesting makes it into the sourcing pipeline the sourcing pipeline has three very simple questions that sort of define our our criteria number one is is there a blockchain use case there's a lot of companies that say they need blockchain, that have blockchain, but they don't need, they don't need blockchain, and they should not use blockchain. Um, so if it's not the case, we are not making you pass into the next stage.
0: What about if there's the, maybe they're not thinking about blockchain today, but there's a potential for blockchain in some future. Does that no, kick it's, them out? No, it's
1: immediately out, yes. Um, and, and we have to be harsh because we have, a lot of companies in our in our deal flow um, coming into our way. Last year we had 400. So we have to be very strict. If it's not immediate blockchain use case, it might be in the future. Come back to us in the future when there is a blockchain use case. We don't want to talk to you right now. Um, The second one, and I know this is not a very traditional venture metric, but we use it is, is it revenue positive? does it have any revenues it's a very easy metric for us to use to eliminate a lot of companies because a lot of funds will invest in pre-revenue companies with high valuations we're just not this risk averse for us we don't know you you might be great but revenue tells us that you know how to execute a little bit you know what I mean if you have a little bit of revenue you have proven that you know how to sell your product so that's number two. And number three is, for us specifically, don't use that across all the funds, but for us specifically, um, we are an enterprise-focused fund. We're looking for enterprise deals. Um, and I want to talk to you about that in the broader context and why enterprise is our focus. Do you mind if I do that? I would love if you did that. OK. So <laughs> um, so think about it like this. So. We had the last 10 years of of blockchain, which was mostly about retail adoption of crypto. And I think it's great. I love Bitcoin. I've been an investor in Bitcoin since, not as early as Sam here in the room, but um, I've been investing since 2014. I also, you know, made good amount of money on it, but I don't think that's all there is to blockchain. I think Bitcoin is the first use case. So what we're seeing is three trends. The first trend is the retail adoption of crypto. That includes Bitcoin. That includes other cryptocurrencies. That includes digital gold, digital cash use cases, stable coins, and that's driven by a lot of things, but one of which is the more economic uncertainty there is, the more Uh, usage or utilization of those cryptocurrencies we'll see. The higher uh, volatility of foreign currencies and Venezuela, for example, the higher usage of crypto will be there. So that's sort of driving this uh, retail adoption of crypto. That's number one. Number two is institutional adoption of crypto and blockchain, that is driven by Ameritrade and, and to the Ameritrade and JP Morgan's of the world, Fidelity. Fidelity getting into this space and wanting to give exposure to their institutional clients. And there's a lot of deals that play into this market uh, that sell to traders, sell to institutions, data analytic plays, um, I mean, Roundblock Capital is an example of that yeah. that you had at your last event in Seattle, yeah. uh, options, futures, and that sort of thing. So that's happening. We know that's happening. The third trend that is happening in parallel, it was happening less so for the last 10 years, but we think it's gonna happen more so over the next 10 years, and that is enterprise adoption of blockchain technology. And that is for specific use cases, such as supply chain, financial services, insurance, you name it, manufacturing, healthcare, uh, we were just talking about healthcare, and what's gonna happen is a lot of those enterprises are gonna replatform the enterprise stack and they're going to include blockchain as a core component of it in a set of very specific use cases. Trade finance is a good example. Has anybody, one of you, heard of um, replacement of a, a CHESS, C-H-E-S-S, at the um, Australian Securities Exchange? This is a great example of how this legacy, you know, inefficient, full of intermediary system was replaced with a easy to use blockchain system that disintermediated 13 players and cut out a lot of costs uh, and inefficiencies. We're going to see that happen across a lot of enterprises. And that totally. is what I'm talking about when I say mm-hmm. the third trend, which is enterprise adoption of blockchain. And why are we focusing in this third bucket? Not because I don't think there's revenue in the first two. I think there's a lot of money to be made in the first two. And I think that there's a lot of companies to invest in the first two. But number one, if you look at the majority of crypto funds, this is where they're spending most of their time. For sure, yeah. Panteras of the world, I mean, every fund that you can imagine, they're investing here. Not a lot of funds invest in enterprise. And number two, we have expertise in enterprise. We don't have as much expertise on that side. So we would rather co-invest with those folks who know those uh, institutional place, and they come to us and co-invest with us on enterprise deals because we know enterprise space.
0: Yeah, smart. Uh, I I totally agree, I mean, I think it's really interesting when you start thinking about, you know, there's these different use cases that get talked about a lot, right? And sure, they need to get ironed out, but when you start seeing um, these enterprise companies, you know, looking for, Either consultants to come in, or ideally software uh, companies to come in and, and take part. Um, you know, I think there's going to be lots of opportunity yeah. to, there overall.
1: Yeah. So you asked me a question before that, and then I kind of went and completely. I, I don't even remember I'm what sure. that other that was question about was. How, was what the deal criteria. Is oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Deals.
0: But no, I mean, I think that's a great, that's a, definitely a, a great insight overall. Like, you know, one of the things that I'm I'm actually doing myself is um, actually. A, 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 it'll be my second insurance company. Like they just want to have an overview of like what blockchain is, right? So like they know that they should be paying attention to it. They know that they have access to tons of data and they use that data. And they're like, you know, what are some ways that maybe we can um, improve on the inefficiencies that we have overall? So or like, you know, interacting with other agencies, that sort of thing. So it's definitely super interesting. Um, OK, so we talked about kind of like from deal flow and that sort of thing. And um, I'd love to kind of just go along with what you're saying about, you know, hey, there's some uh, companies, or sorry, uh, funds that invest more in this retail side. You're thinking more of the enterprise side. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's take that even to now when we think about just a traditional investor. When I'm saying traditional, I'm thinking non-blockchain venture capital, Mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, what are the things that you're seeing you know, from your side? Like you said, you wanted to go ahead and, and perhaps partner with someone at a firm like that and they didn't really see the value. Um, how do you think that has changed? Um, where do you think their investment thesis lies as well? You think yeah. they're thinking more retail as
2: well?
1: Mm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I, I think a lot has changed over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, a good example would be I was sitting in a room of 12 VCs uh, in late 2017, it was yeah, everybody you can imagine from Sequoia to Andreessen, NEA, and uh, when the question came, what do you think is the most disruptive technology, it was actually early 2017, I should correct myself. Um, what is the most disruptive technology? Only myself and another one mentioned blockchain as in the top three. For me it was number one, for the other see it was number two. Everybody else did not even mention blockchain. what they and say? Just curious. I mean, what like you AI would expect AI, yeah. machine learning, IOT. IoT, all the buzzwords. I guess blockchain is a buzzword too. <laughs> um, but, you know, six months later when the prices went up, Andreessen had <laughs> announced their their fund, and now I know Bessemer is looking at it, and everybody else as well. So, in terms of Traditional institutional VCs, slowly but steadily, the, not the ones on the cutting edge, but traditional ones, they are very afraid of crypto. They they're very afraid to invest in an ICO. A lot of them wouldn't touch it, but they are starting to look at enterprise blockchain, which yeah. is which is great for us because our portfolio companies are going to need future rounds of funding. So in fact, I was just in Davos uh, for the World Economic Forum, and. Uh, one of the panels was talking about, from a traditional institutional venture capital firm, talking about how they're just starting to, to research enterprise blockchain because timing is very good. So if you think about it as hype cycle, are you familiar with the hype cycle? Hype cycle is a methodology that Gartner developed when they said every technology, every new technology follows the same pattern as it evolves over time. First, it it sort of starts with a lot of excitement, goes up to the hype, and then it crashes, <laughs> it burns. And then over time, um, it so, sort of goes into the mainstream adoption once the bugs are fixed and the expectations are apart. Say it again. Trough of, trough of disillusionment into the plateau of productivity, <laughs> as they call it. So, uh, so, So where we are today compared to two years ago, is we are at the rock bottom of the trough of disillusionment when it comes to blockchain. And that's a really good time to start looking at investing. Like the deals that we're getting in on, the valuations are much more favorable than they were two years ago, and they're much more favorable than even traditional software companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same metrics, recurring revenue, ARR, MRR, you take, you look, pick whatever you want. They are undervalued because the expectation of the market is that blockchain is going away, you know, this Bitcoin crash so now there's no use cases of blockchain and it's all been hype. Um, So for that reason I'm seeing more and more institutional VCs, traditional VCs start researching the space and they're saying, we think in the next six months we're going to make our first investment, Yeah. which is huge. Yeah, yeah,
0: that is big. That is big. Definitely, yeah. Because I, you know, I've talked to a lot of traditional folks, and um, you know, there's a couple that I know of, BCs that made that one investment. Mm-hmm. Already, and then unfortunately, most Did of them burned, well. right? Yeah. And so they're like, "Oh, we're not touching it for a little bit." Did they make but an
1: equity investment or equity
0: investments? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'll tell you about that after. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but because
1: actually, we found a lot of companies who got a lot of money in twenty seventeen and still survived in twenty nineteen. Sure. are really good companies to, to- invest right now. Hundred
0: percent, hundred percent. Yeah, if you were able to to make it through that, and and exactly on the equity side of things, you know. I, we we can actually kind of touch on this. I think it's interesting. You know, two years ago it was really heavy on ICOs, and a lot of VCs were like, "Hey, like we're not going to touch that." And
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, there was some uh, you know people didn't like that. But I think now we can see like why like why you wouldn't want um, to invest in tokens. You know, I have definitely have my opinions. Why would you not want to invest in a token sale?
1: So, for, from, as an investor, from the venture capital perspective, you are restricted. Um, as to what percentage of your AUM, which is assets under management, you can have in liquid assets. And tokens qualify as liquid securities um, per the SEC. So our limitation as a venture fund is 20%. We cannot go above 20% of our AUM um, in tokens. For that reason, the bar for token projects for us to deploy capital is very, very high. Yeah. Um, And I think that's the case for for most other VCs. With that said, the projects where token makes sense and it's a very good use case and it's getting traction, I think there's every reason to invest in it and a really good reason to invest right now because maybe it's three months ago, but still now because the prices are (laughs) very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Even if you look at Ethereum, You know, it's, if you look at fundamental metrics behind Ethereum, just forget price completely. Just look at developer adoption. Look at Ethereum locked in smart contracts. Things you should be looking at when you are evaluating projects. All those metrics are telling you that this project is on the rise, and it's by magnitude, um, you know, far greater than any competing project uh, in terms of a platform. So if you're trying to put your investor head on, think, Okay, is it undervalued or overvalued compared to those metrics?
0: And I I was referencing more even just like from a a company standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Like a company comes like, hey, we're doing, I don't know, blockchain for X and we have a token. Um, You know, a lot of those projects that had had their independent token ERC20, you know, lost 90% of their value in, in a currency. Um, so I can see why a VC wouldn't necessarily want to, but then also like you don't have liquidation preferences um, mm-hmm. or um, any of those things, right? The
1: problem is you also don't have control. Or control, yeah. yeah n- nothing. That's a bad thing because VCs want control. Right. But also liquidity is good. If you can sell your position today versus having to wait five years from now when it goes IPO, that's much preferable outcome. us right right so there's pros and cons I think that's the bottom line yeah
0: definitely definitely Um, so you know let's talk a kind of about industry you said enterprise Um, outside of enterprise like if you were let's say enterprise wasn't your uh, industry or or maybe like we can even focus on enterprise what are are there particular verticals or like industry segments within enterprise that's interesting for you Mm -hmm. Um, or are you just kind of agnostic as long as you can see the use case Mm -hmm. um, in that space
1: so within enterprise or in general? So, I, can talk I guess about both. both. Yeah, okay. both. Yeah. So so in terms of um, I guess let's start with enterprise and then I'll touch on everything else. So we think about it in terms of the stack, what the stack of the enterprise would look like. And to simplify that, think of it as three layers of the stack. The bottom layer of the stack is the protocol layer. That's where the you know the the, the actual technology on top of which the applications will be run has to be built. And there's a lot of work and there's a lot of great protocols that are serving the enterprise such as our portfolio company Hedera Hashgraph for example. The reason we invested in it is because it had um, much better scalability than Ethereum. 10,000 transactions per second compared to 14 transactions per second that Ethereum had, had better finality, and it was also uh, proposing a novel governing model, governance model with uh, 39 governing councils, and those are large enterprises. So, this is a good example of a platform, bottom layer platform technologies. Other examples include Quarter, Quorum, Hyperledger, Ethereum. Another company we invested in has a platform called Strato. So there's a lot of very specialized platforms out there, but I would want to preface it by saying best technology does not always win. So for us, we take it with a grain of salt when somebody comes to us and they say we have something 100x better than Ethereum because those companies come to us all the time and 2 years later they're no longer there because they have a bunch of smart techies who don't know how to execute. So that's the that's the bottom. The the middle part of that stack is we call it middleware, if you will. There's a lot of different categories there, but we would put distributed storage um, technologies there, IPFSs, if you're familiar with that, uh, companies around that, identity, application enabling layers, other middleware types of solutions. Collido, for example, if you've heard of Collido, that's a good example of a cloud hosting infrastructure Specific for blockchain platforms, and that's sort of a good example of this middleware stack Where we think majority of money will be made in the long term or value created a better term to use is the application layer on top of this and the reason for that is because this is where the actual use cases reside this is where say a trade finance application which connects 17 banks and trade brokers around the world called Comgo um, would sit in in this stack.
0: Are you giving us an idea of a company to start or is this a company that exists already?
1: That's a company that exists already. (laughs) I was going to see if (laughs)
0: anybody was writing this down. But But if you (laughs) want to start a company like
1: that and you get 17 banks on board, I'll write a check, I swear (laughs) to God. (laughs) Um, But it's a really good idea because where blockchain use cases are most valuable is when you have a lot of stakeholders, a lot of parties who want to transact with each other, who don't necessarily trust each other, or maybe not even know each other, and there's a high level of standardization. So the more standardized the industry is, the more stakeholders there are mm-hmm. the better use cases. And those are the application layer use cases that I'm talking about. It's supply chain, healthcare, you know, the settlement layer of a financial institution, for example. Ripple, as much as I don't like their token, the actual company makes a lot of sense because it proves the value of blockchain in this. Value exchange among banks and replacing the old in- intermediaries.
0: Sure, if you can send that money faster, quicker. Exactly. Definitely.
1: I didn't know that. I actually was just uh, talking to um, to Brad, the CEO of Ripple, and he said, "the If you were to try to send a thousand dollars from New York to London, I think he said a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars." Your, the quickest way to do that is to literally get cash in a bag, get on a plane and fly to London. <laughs> That's your quick I mean 2020. Yeah. And this is still the quickest way to transfer money. Wouldn't get through customs. You wouldn't get there. It wouldn't get through customs. 9900. 9000, yes. <laughs> yes, but it's a it's, it's a massive pain and we love companies who solve massive pains and this is a good For example sure. of that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Awesome, well I'd love to open it up to questions from people um, so we can capture you on the mic. Just do me a favor and come sit in this chair right here and I'm gonna swing this microphone over it's your way. Whoops. I'll do this, I guess.
2: <laughs> you can just, I'll, I'll, you don't even Looks like a horrid whip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you were talking about your first criteria is mm-hmm. a legitimate use case. Right. Well, it seemed to you talk, would it be fair to characterize that legitimate use case as improving trust among a wide variety of diverse stakeholders at the application level?
1: Mm -hmm. So I would preface it by saying it doesn't just have to be at the application layer. It could be at the middleware or the platform layer, we would still invest in a company. But what I mean by uh, blockchain use case is there's a lot of other database technologies out there that can solve problems. And where we see applicability of blockchain is um, immutability. So does it matter if the data is immutable? Or would you rather not have it immutable? If so, don't use blockchain because you're wasting your resources. Number two is auditability. Does it matter for you to be able to audit what happened in the past, what's happening in present, and what will be happening in real time in an immutable manner, And if so, then, then it's a good use case. And the third is programmability. So the smart contract is a good example of that. If you have, if this then that is the outcome type of scenario, say an insurance, if my flight is canceled, I want to get my money back. There should be a smart contract that automates my settlement, my payment, mm-hmm doesn't go through any insurance companies or intermediaries and settles between parties immediately. So those three are kind of a first test, I guess. If, if it's a yes, 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 then it's probably a good use case and then you can make it more complicated.
2: Related to that last thing, do you have any thoughts about Ricardian contracts? Or Recording? Ricardian.
1: Ricardian contracts. Yeah,
2: there's, we've got some action here in Portland with some companies that are setting it up so that there's human-readable contract that gets automatically interpreted into a self enforcing contract. Hmm. And I was just curious if you've heard of them or thought about it.
1: Yeah, I heard about the concept. I haven't done much thinking about it, I guess. What I have done thinking about is how legal system in general going to change over the next five to 10 (coughs) years and what role blockchain will play. And the fundamental question that I like to ask everybody because I don't have an answer to it myself, um, and that is, is code law? Because <laughs> if it is, then it, the answer is pretty simple. You can codify everything and, and make a law out of it. And I think that's what you're referring to. Um, but th- I think the answer is more complicated than yeah. that. Yeah.
0: Actually, I have something I want to ask that you touched on. Uh, I think it was the first point you made like meaning like does it belong in a blockchain because if it's slow or, or whatnot, um, like maybe or it's too expensive to be on the blockchain, the data or information. Um, it, lately I've been kind of trying to challenge that assumption, right? And I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, meaning that a lot of times you'll hear people say like, oh, that doesn't belong on blockchain because it's too expensive or it's too slow or it's too these things. But um, does that really mean that it doesn't belong on blockchain, right? Like, does that mean it just doesn't belong on blockchain today? Mm. Because in theory, like technology improves. So now that that information should essentially cost less or sorry, it should cost less to record it or should become faster over time, right? If we continuously Mm -hmm. improve technology, Uh, I guess, what are your thoughts are on that? Yeah,
1: I don't I don't think about it in terms of is it just expensive? Because I completely agree with you that in the next two years, all of the scalability challenges will be solved, or not all of them, majority of them. Privacy challenges will probably be solved to an extent with zero-knowledge proofs and other things. But ultimately, it can if you can do the same thing without blockchain just as well, then you probably don't need it. Whether blockchain is fast or slow, doesn't matter. But if your use case specifically depends on things like immutability, things like transparency, auditability, and programmability. Lots of <laughs> words <laughs> sounding the same, but if you do have that, then blockchain makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I like to think about it from the point of view, um, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, of um, you know, if we were to design things or, or create the new rails, right, and we're pretended like we didn't know what the past was like you know would we have created a blockchain system mm. and then in fact like is that how how we would do things again i don't know if that makes it a good use case to use it or not peter I you have an th- opinion on th- all th- that to... yeah yeah go for yeah, it
2: you know, i don't think you're ever going to put that other stuff on a blockchain like i think got to Right, and I don't mean like
0: record all data on blockchain or right. anything like that, of course,
2: I, I mean, yeah. If you, if you, you know, any sort of consensus mechanism, you're going to want to, you know, have a point of the data, it's also going to increase security and everything like that. So it's always going to be some sort of hybrid solution, right? yeah. The interesting thing in the enterprise space is, you know, what are those hybrid solutions going to be? You know, how much does it have, to, you know, we, we sort of think of this world of Bitcoin and things like that as miners out there in the world, that pop and that's probably not what's going to happen in the enterprise space. I mean, you know, our, our product, Which is really cool if you have an on-ramp and an on-ramp to something that you know the vast majority of enterprises the are running mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and things like that. I think you know that I think the key in the enterprise space is going to be how does it onboard onto you know, the existing things. The banking application we did uh, took swift messages and passed them all around so there was no change in format, taking something that you know every everybody is outputting, mm-hmm. changing it around, putting it in as a, as a transmitter format back and forth. I, mean, totally. I think those are the things.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you want to repeat the question or? Uh, oh, no, you <laughs> go, go over. Yeah so, yeah, so I don't know if I can repeat the question, but um, I think the general uh, topic was about how will enterprises leverage blockchain uh, technology companies in the future. And I think my biggest belief about it is that enter. So, The fundamental blockchain movement is all about decentralization. Let's decentralize everything. There's a lot of fanatics in this space who are saying everything should be decentralized. You know, uh, central governments will go away. Banks will go away. um, Everything will be decentralized. Enterprises will never buy from a fully decentralized company. They will always want to hold somebody accountable. And that's why I think companies like Ripple, I hate bringing it up because it's not the only example, but it's a centralized company that is leveraging the power of decentralization to its benefit in selling uh, to the enterprises and making them a lot of money. I think over time, we're sort of going to see more and more decentralization, sort of, if you think about it as uh, as a spectrum, right? There's going to be more and more of it, but there is always going to be somebody in charge. And I think that's what a lot of um, decentralization um, fanatics, maximalists. maximalists, they don't understand. Um, and it, that's especially going to be the case with enterprise. And that's why, you know, you're going to have the settlement layer, perhaps on Ethereum. You're going to have another layer with another provider. Maybe we have a layer zero, but but there will always be somebody in between and somebody in charge.
0: Right. I mean, even when you think about um, from like the tools, the retail tools that make Purchasing of some of these cryptocurrencies, quote unquote, easier is like you still have to do KYC, you still have to do all these right. things, yeah. you know, that have access to. Other and even
1: if banks go away, which I, I mean, it sounds nice, but there will be somebody else who will come in. Though I don't think banks will completely go away; they might become service businesses.
0: Sure, that yeah. like kind of acts as a bank. Say it again. You make changes in
2: charge. Uh, yeah. You're right. There's always going to be someone
1: in charge, but it may not be
2: the person you. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah someone else, just in case it's not heard on the recording, is yeah, someone else mm-hmm. might just be in charge instead. Yeah. yeah. Who else has a question they want to ask? Come on up, please. Mm.
2: So, in your view, mm-hmm. what is the most important company in the crypto space right now?
1: Wow. <laughs> it's a billion-dollar question, if I knew I would already be a billionaire. The, coming, the question is coming from somebody who is a big believer in Bitcoin. <laughs> the right answer would be a Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin on the crypto side is still a major, major player. So if I were to separate between enterprise blockchain and crypto, I would say in crypto it is Bitcoin because everything is correlated with Bitcoin, at almost hundred percent at the moment. Uh, even we hold Ethereum, Ethereum is still correlated. Although
0: Bitcoin's not a company
1: technically. Yeah, technically right? not a company, but it it's an entity. I yeah. guess or an organization. Or organization. I meant or as, uh, as a centralized company. It's a centralized. So as, as
0: a centralized company, what yeah. would be a good? Centra- what's, what about a good centralized company putting you on the spot?
1: Hmm. Blockchain company that is the most important. Uh, Important in terms of what, though? That's what I'm trying to understand. Important in terms of
2: Uh, its influence on the market, or it's going to be a major player.
1: I don't think I have an answer to that. Um, I can speculate, um, but I think an important company that has Influence on the market that is not a blockchain company is a company like Facebook because Whether blockchain companies want it or not the success of the Libra project to a large extent will dictate How seriously the rest of the market is perceived, but that's not a blockchain company, so that's not what you're looking for Um, I think right now there's more influence on the blockchain market from non-blockchain companies. Companies like JP Morgan and what Jamie Dimon is saying about blockchain is more important than anything any blockchain company can do. And I
0: totally agree with that you know when you when you start thinking about like I to go back with your Facebook example is that um, you know if Facebook ends up having Libra like they can immediately have two billion wallets, right? right? Like that they can just pump Libra but and into. and it brings you know, massive
1: credibility. C- yes. Correct, right? And yeah. so
0: then I think through having that, it allows the companies, you know, not name Libra, for example, to then offer services to the other, um, you know, call it Fortune 500 or, or people that aren't <laughs> thinking about it, right? Like, I think there's, like, I'm a big fan of stable coins, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think there's an opportunity, essentially, to be the stable coin factory for everybody not named Libra, mm-hmm. right? And you start thinking about, like, how these different companies that are doing big things um, play. Like, you know, you mentioned Fidelity a second ago, and, um, you know, they, they're really interested in Bitcoin mining, right? Like, that's, yeah. like, a thing. And so, and same, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase with their, with their internal stablecoin. Um, I think it's funny when when people kind of think about some of these banks creating um, you know, digital currency um, as like a uh, fear of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually um, 100% disagree with that thing. Like, um, I don't think banks- I don't
1: know if they're even trying to compete with Bitcoin. They're not, I don't there. think
0: so, at least. I don't think banks even care about Bitcoin, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, as what banks, Banks fear not making money, right? Yeah. Like that bank. A bank's biggest fear is not making money, and mm-hmm. so if they can make money by selling Bitcoin or by or they can reduce costs by having a you know a digital currency, yeah. then that's great. It's kind of like, hey, we learned from this technology. Yeah. Let's let's use that.
1: So let me rephrase your question and answer it differently. If I were to say, what companies do I keep track of? Perhaps the ones that are later down the road that we didn't invest in, but that would validate a lot of what blockchain companies or blockchain use cases are doing. I would say companies like digital assets. Has anybody heard of companies yeah. with digital assets? Um, great example, solving real problem, raised seriously from credible investors large valuation but sort of of over- approving the the use cases of blockchain securitize is a good example of a company that raised series b specifically around tokenization of assets they're trying to prove the value around tokenization of assets um, ripple another good example just raised Series c i believe at 10 billion billion dollar valuation i mean 10 billion valuation is a huge amount of money for, even for you know, a traditional market. There's not a lot of companies that raise Serious C at a $10 billion valuation. So I think those are sort of flagship. Some there's more examples I can give you, but those are flagship companies that everybody's watching. Coinbase obviously uh, just did a $8.5 billion valuation raise.
0: Yeah, I think Coinbase is super interesting, not even from just the exchange aspect of it, but when you start thinking about the things that they're trying to do in the commerce space, and like transactions, and then they have their USDC stablecoin, mm-hmm. and they have a commerce uh, platform, so you know, if they can get people to transact with USDC, right. that becomes... Right, I mean, that's
1: a huge use case right. of, of that stable, and right. it's disrupting the PayPals of the world, and PayPal is awful. <laughs> I mean, I actually just recently started using PayPal. I don't know why I didn't use it a long time ago, yeah. but I realized how broken it is, and how much it charges both so expensive. of the yeah. party for such a simple, now, transaction that yeah. should be free or close to free. So I think stable coins will disrupt the likes of PayPal and they will disrupt banks to yeah. an extent.
0: Yeah, Nice. Um, quick question, because we gotta, we got to wrap up.
2: A very quick question. Uh, with regard to social media, whether we're talking about something like Twitter or something like LinkedIn, who are two or three of your favorite followers?
1: Uh, followers that I follow? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Me, of course, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I <was> teasing.
1: <laughs> hmm, that's a really good question. So on the crypto side, I think everybody follows Pomp, and he's putting on a lot of news out there. On the blockchain side, um, I follow a few very specific um, journalists who are writing about enterprise blockchain. Uh, Rachel Wilson is one of them from Forbes. Uh, Dimitri, I forget his last name, from Forbes as well, he's specifically writing about enterprise blockchain.
0: Rachel's with Cointelegraph now. Oh, uh, she? Yeah.
1: She changed, okay. She used to be with Forbes. She used
0: to be with Forbes, yep.
1: Yes. Um, and um, there's one specific news source that I would recommend uh, called Ledger Insights. Obviously, Token Forum as well. TF Blockchain. <laughs> TF <yep>. Blockchain. <laughs> That's yes, creepy. indeed. Uh, but Ledger Insights is really, really good. Um, but, but yeah, I would say those are top
0: three. Cool, cool. Awesome. Uh, well, Kate, thank you so much for uh, taking the time coming down to Portland and, and speaking with thank all you of us. Thank for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you at TF5 here in a couple of weeks. Um, you'll all be able to see her there if you come. And uh, you, we always like to leave you with a question that you want to ask everybody else, kind of have them think about as they leave and um, they head out. What's something you want to leave them with?
1: Hmm. Do I get an answer from all of you? <laughs> you can, yeah, afterwards. Or, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's going to sound a little negative, but I do want to ask that question. What is your, if there's one thing you could go back in time five years ago, three years ago, and do something that you did not do, what would that be? How would leave you deal with that.
0: Buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> awesome right. that wasn't the right answer <laughs> yeah. alright everybody thank you so much for being here let's give her a round of applause thank you, so yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening to the TF blockchain podcast Please help us continue to spread blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto awareness by sharing this podcast, attending our events, following us on social, and rating and reviewing this podcast by clicking all the stars on our homepage so we can be more accessible across Apple, Spotify, and all podcast platforms. Thank you for your support. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep building. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the positions or opinions of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.